it is my pleasure to welcome back Spec as the presenting sponsor of Fraudology this quarter. Stay tuned for more information and updates on their product capabilities, or click the link in the episode description to request your personal demo of Spec's TrustCloud platform. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I am so lucky to know some of the smartest people in the fraud prevention world, and two of those people are Marianne Miller and Frank McKenna, and they've been guests on the podcast before and as recently as the beginning of this year in 2023. So this was the first year that, well, Frank and Marianne have been doing annual predictions for fraud for several years in a row, and I've been a big fan of reading them. And I was honored that they asked me to join this year. And I said, well, let's get on the podcast and talk about it. So we did back in January, and I will have a link to that original episode in the show notes. But then towards the end of the episode, I think one of us might have been Frank said, you know, it'd be really fun to come back in six months and see what did we get right? What did we what did we not know about that hit us or what maybe wasn't as big of a deal as we thought? So that's what we're doing. And Frank and Marianne, thank you so much for joining me today uh, to do a mid-year check-in. Great to be here. Looking forward to part two, 2023 fraud predictions. How did we do? This is a report card. See if we got it right. It is. Yeah. Looking forward, yeah. Look forward to the conversations. It's going to be great. Me too. Well, it's also just such a good excuse for me to get you both on a call. And we always have such good conversations before we record and after we record. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so and and they're all, you know, good. So I think first I'll just read through the predictions. We'll kind of talk about what we got right, what we didn't think about or what surprised us, etc. But I figured I'll read through the predictions and that way we know what they were. And then we'll talk about the ones that, you know, that surprised us didn't, etc. So prediction number one was check fraud will hit 24 billion or more and push banks to breaking point. So obviously we saw check fraud growing last year. We expected to see it this year. Second prediction, scam reimbursement will bring new pain and new investment in fraud controls. And that's consumer scam reimbursement. Prediction three, high attack rates will force some banks to turn off digital acquisition. I think we'll be talking about that a little bit for sure. Prediction four, massive coordinated cyber and fraud attacks will emerge as standard method. Five, merchant fraud losses will spike after new compelling evidence rules go into effect. I have a bit of an update on that one for sure. Number six, insider fraud will drive up SIM swaps, account takeover, and refund fraud. And if anyone's been listening to Fraudology over the last few months, kind of already know the answer to that one if it kept growing or not. Prediction eight, regulators will push for more identity regulations based SAR findings. And those are suspicious activity reports. Nine, recession and inflation could push fraud-related defaults up as much as 50%. So that's fraud-related defaults on mortgages, auto loans, credit cards, etc. And then number 10, passwordless authentication will become a reality finally. So those were obviously a combined effort between the three of us taking in each of our 10,000 foot view of different parts of the industry. Frank with loan fraud, or well, the loan areas and banking, Marianne with banking and some e-commerce and fintech, and then myself e-commerce with some fintech. So I think 
if we were to put our 10,000 foot views next to each other, there'd be a bit of overlap in each one in a Venn diagram. Marianne, I'll start with you first. What did we get right? What are the, the predictions that absolutely have been a big deal in 2023? Yeah. And, and Carissa, I look at a couple of these and I'm even disappointed that we got them right. So let's put it this way. And, and- oh, I'm really glad you said that because I actually, in my okay. own notes, before I typed up the questions, I was like, but in this case, it's not like we're patting ourselves on the back. Sure. Like we wish we didn't get these. Right. That's right. That's right. So I wish there was no fraud to report. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. One of the of the the trends that I really and Frank and I've been, been talking about this and was the attack rate on digital. Mm-hmm. And if we look at onboarding and acquisition, and we look at challenges around identity proofing, and and this goes across any kind of if you're fintech, if you're a bank. If you're a dating app, you're, if you're a merchant place, if you're any kind of product or services that you're digitally offering, who's at the other end of that device? Who's at the other end of that interaction? And unfortunately, not only has the attack rate hurt businesses, but we're seeing examples where the businesses have made assumptions that those attacks were actually true accounts and that those true accounts were transacting. And then that transaction population was legitimate when in fact, you know, there was in cases millions of fake accounts. And so we're hearing about that hitting investors' pocketbooks because of the fact that we've got companies that like IRL that just announced recently that they're no longer going to be in business, but because of 90% of fake accounts. We heard announcements from other companies. We've heard other reports have come out around fake accounts. We've seen, again, the, the discussion around Cash App. We've seen the discussion around PayPal disclosing 4.5 fake accounts. So that continues to happen. But what's happening is this perpetration of the fake accounts really put the risk teams at, at a disadvantage when their voice isn't heard internally. <laughs> and they're trying to you know, explain to the business, hey, this is not, you know, the ad that you put on Facebook last night. This is actually an, a, a fraud attempt. And these are not, right. really, and, that, and in some cases, depending on the business model, translate directly into fraud or they, it translates directly into consumers' identities being exploited, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, and so, you know, and I think Frank would probably have a few other perspectives to add, but I, you know, I was on the stage with Dan LeCrone in yeah. 2020 at, in, in Amsterdam. And we talked about, you know, these famous reporter for the Financial Times who followed and reported and investigated the Wire story, which was mm-hmm. Germany's darling fintech that went down because of fraud. And one of the concepts we brought up was small things turn into big things when it comes to what we call cooking the books. And, and yeah. so the, the fake account dilemma and the attack rate can really muddy the waters around Again, you're, you go into business with a true aspiration to be successful, but you have to make sure that that's, you're really having true success. And, you know, and I'll, I'll make one last point that I think that fintechs or companies that go digital and if they have an, a, if they're responsible for, if they're, if their account count, the number of accounts that they have is related directly to their income or their revenue then they need to have a metric that talks about identity competence and maybe mm. have a measurement and say, you know, based on our tools, our standard controls we have in place, that we right now have a 50% identity confidence or 75% or because, in fact, investors need to, you know, even ask that question. 
Well, and so, you know, that really goes to the the prediction around banks kind of halting those digital growth, right? Because of fake accounts and not being able to ensure that people's identity is who they really are. And that's something that we've been seeing on the e-commerce side of her a long time because you don't need a social security number. You don't need, you know, a lot of the things that are needed on the banking side. It's an alarm. I feel like I've been sounding for a while ever since. I mean, there's a lot of very large companies that I know of that have a, a very strong, like high percentage of fake accounts. However, because blind eyes were were looked or because there was enough venture capital put into it, eventually they were able to grow their legitimate account numbers and not really have it hit the investor pocketbooks. In some cases, there's a couple of companies I know who were and trying not to like say anything that can get it tied back to them, but you know, that were aware that fraud was happening on those accounts, right? It wasn't just that the account was opened incorrectly and then went away. It was being used to perpetrate fraud, usually on other platforms, but money transfers or whatever that is, right? From processing different things or in and out, whatever it is, and whether it's a marketplace or a fintech, something like that. But then as they were able to tout that growth to enough investors, then the investors then became good. And now they seem to be legitimate, right? So in some cases, companies have gotten away with it. But I think what you're talking about, especially with IRL and Frank, not Frank McKenna, but Frank, the company that Chase Bank bought, is those are examples of accounts being able to be created. I think in the Frank situation's a little different because the CEO was in on it and and helped create those rather than just, oh, we had bot traffic or yeah, it's a fraud attack. It's not your marketing plan. But you're right. We are, I think, undoubtedly, and I think it's probably a combination of synthetic fraud happening for so long and then it just being, and then the, the whole PPP and COVID unemployment fraud required people to learn how to create new identities or borrow and steal legitimate identities to for their own gain and so they've they've learned that too but that's that is one example of one of the predictions that yeah unfortunately we were right about because it is while it's not necessarily making anyone stop with or halt digital growth it certainly is we are starting to see more companies being found out that in like IRL's case 90 to 95 percent of their accounts weren't weren't legitimate but you, it's a good point as far as like having identity proofing or like or being able to say identity confidence or just in general confidence, right? Is this a real person? Is this someone who's actually transacting on our system more than once or did they just want and done or what was their looking at the entire customer journey and being able to confidently say, is this a good user? Is this a bad user? Because good users are going to often provide revenue ongoing, right? And lifetime revenue, a lifetime value of a customer, whether it's in banking or loans, you're going to continue to get money off of those customers, more or less. Those bad customers are just taking up real estate in your servers or in your systems, or they did one bad act and then they're never going to, now you're sending emails to ghost emails, right? You're paying for those. It's just this continual cost. So it's a really good point. Frank, what do you think, either on that note or on another prediction that you've seen be true? Yeah, I thought I was thinking back as you as you were going through the 10, mm-hmm. and I give us a B because yeah. <laughs> I, the year isn't over yet, right? We have six more months. I would say, here's what I was thinking. Like you were talking about our prediction on scams. We said scams are going to become big. 
banks are going to have to start reimbursing. And that actually did come true. Three weeks ago, UK, they just announced the banks are yeah. going to have to reimburse. But it didn't happen here. In fact, this is why I give us a B on that one, because here in the United States, end of last year, a bunch of talk about scams, about doing more, and we haven't heard anything really. So we'll yeah. see what happens in the next six months. But it did happen in the UK, and UK is pretty advanced. They're several years ahead of us. So on that one, I think we, we did kind of get it right. Check fraud. Can we give us a B, but like the regulators we'll give- an F? <laughs> because yeah. they're way gonna- behind the times and too yeah, many people are losing yeah. money at their cost. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to hear something in the next several weeks, though. So stay yeah. tuned. I agree um, with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, check fraud. It was already going up in last year. We said it would probably like double, right? And mm-hmm. in fact, it did. So they came out. I think the Feinstein report came out. Wall Street Journal reported it. All the publications, check fraud is going berserk. That was not a hard prediction to make. It happened. Mm-hmm. I'll give us an A for that one because I think it did happen. And it's yeah. it's not over yet. We said low loss rates with inflation, recession. You're going to see more loss rates in terms of like default. That's happened. In auto, mm-hmm. we're seeing early payment default rates go up by 50 mm-hmm. 2021. So that's happening. I think that's another correct prediction. We talked about insider fraud. I mean, I can't tell you how many oh, yeah. insider fraud I've seen. I mean, you go to Telegram and, you know, I'm not going to pick on any company, but there's a yeah. on telecom that is there's thousands of posts about insiders access for this telecom. This happens to be a telecom that has a lot of data breaches that has it's always in the news. Insider fraud. You gave away more hints about them than I did on the episode that I when I mentioned them as well and talked about insiders. So, so yeah. yes, but it it's but you're right. And honestly, Telegram is public, right? Well, the the groups that you and I are part of are on public groups. You do need yeah. to be a part of them. But like, so you're right. It's not anything that it's um, nothing. It's not a secret. It's out there. You no. can search your company name and see. Search your company name and the word I N N Y, which means any. And that mm-hmm. means somebody selling access to insiders. And this company has a lion's share of the, the post. So I think and it's dangerous, is- right? For from your point, like it's not just impacting that telco. And it's the same no. with oh, shipping sim- companies and the bait. Well, right. For sim swaps, right? So like there are other types of companies where it impacts more than just their own company. In fact, I would argue yeah. it doesn't impact their own company that much. But it's impacting other companies and that yeah. they're the ones who left holding the bag. Are the telcos with sim swaps, that- right? It's the banks. There are banks that are listed as well for account takeover. It's also shipping carriers, which we're seeing really impact the refund fraud landscape for e-commerce, where you get an employee's account number, you get an employee to be able to reroute a package or change the status of a package. That shipping company isn't left holding the bag. And that's why even though many of they've been notified many, many times, sometimes by some of their biggest clients, it's not their money. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a hidden type of fraud. A lot of people Mm -hmm. want to ignore it. It just keeps happening. It's getting worse. So I think that prediction came true. I think uh, we had one about the master manipulators out of Asia. I think that you had a big part in. What's interesting about that, I I haven't heard this, and you know much more about this than me, Chris, because you're closer to it. But what we are seeing out of Asia are the master manipulators with AI. So we're seeing these pig butchering Mm -hmm. scams coming out of Asia where they're 
being very manipulative and taking a lot with these pig butchering scams. But we're also seeing a lot of AI cloning out of Asia, video cloning yes. for wire transfer fraud. So yeah, a ton of fraud with these master manipulators. I don't think one thing we, if I was thinking of a, a prediction we missed was the extent to which AI, generative AI, is, is playing a part of the landscape this year and capturing public's interest and how quickly it's caught on. I think that is something that surprises me. We didn't talk about it a lot. So that would be a, maybe a miss, right? Because we, I didn't expect it to be this big, but it's, it's trying to be pretty big. I'm also surprised with the explosion in check fraud that there hasn't been more investment in it. Like I haven't heard of a lot of banks actually buying tools in that area or yeah. investment. So I think I, that, mm. that's the way I'd played out. In, and you had a few in there that I was really curious about, Chris, and that yeah. was this DDoS combination DDoS attacks and, yeah. and hitting merchants at the same time in busy hours. Has that happened since Christmas? No, that's, this is what's interesting. And I was playing on actually, yeah. So this goes hand in hand with the master manipulators because we saw them committing a lot of triangulation fraud by low level address manipulations that were really taking advantage of the fraud solutions that really only look at one-to-one -one data consortiums. So if your email address is, you know, carice at abc.com, and that's been marked as fraud, but somebody creates one at abc.com, mm -hmm. all of a sudden that's not in your negative list anymore. So, you know, it's a new, a new file. Same with address, things like that. We saw it huge at Christmas. And then on Black Friday, we saw Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we saw more than one fraud tools being attacked through DDoS attacks where they're flooding the systems of the fraud provider to then be able to flood the systems, uh, the merchants that use those fraud providers, because especially mm -hmm. with GDPR, et cetera, it's not too hard to so find out to, who everyone uses. We have to wait till Christmas is what you're saying. Well, yeah. See what's happening yeah. Like so I was giving a little bit of background just for people who hadn't heard it before, but we haven't heard much from them. So, but I'm concerned, I'm very concerned that because we haven't heard very much from them, that they'll be back in a vengeance because they got their payday before. So I do know from talking to some smaller companies in e-commerce that they were hit with the low-level address manipulations after Christmas. So I know it's still happening here and there and they're doing some testing. I talked to a couple of the bigger companies actually like a week ago, knowing this episode was coming up saying, guys, you haven't brought this up, but are you guys seeing this? And a couple of yeah. them said, we, every once in a while, it looks like they're testing it to see what we fixed and if we still have those things, but then we see them go away. Mm. And that is exactly what they saw last summer. And they didn't know what it was going to become because when they started to see it in full force in October, November, they're like, wait, those were the guys that were testing us in August and September. So yeah. my concern is that they'll be back with a vengeance. We haven't seen either one of those like things happen. Like all you are taking advantage of the high volume and when's a high volume right so it's possible that you're onto something where they've oh maybe it's a seasonal business where they yes. attack e-commerce companies during the winter time but we know from pig butchering like you said has just gone sky high and i'll be having aaron west on the podcast soon which i'm very excited oh, about. oh yeah that's such great. a good expert on pig butchering but i also had a soft kipness who worked at Meta and Facebook on this issue um, on the podcast fairly recently. And yeah. after that, he also did a kind of some pretexting or some red teaming as far as he was 
approached by a pig butcher and he kind of went down the process and he documented it. So read that on the podcast. So, I mean, I don't know for sure, but my theory is that the people, you know, who are caught up in the human trafficking for master manipulators or, or chances are are doing something around pig butchering right now yeah. in the off season. But I could be wrong, right? I'd love for Christmas to come by and not have either one of those problems come back, but I'm really concerned. You're it was, waiting. Yeah. Probably going to happen. Hey, you know, one thing I was thinking of, there's one other prediction, which I think has coming true. Passwordless yeah. authentication, Google, passkeys, yeah. they adopted that. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I'm using it now. I've never used Pascal before. So that one is interesting because I think that's that was a I guess I'd call it a positive trend prediction. That one, yeah. but one one negative one thing I didn't even think of, and maybe you guys didn't either, but this ERC tax credit is like COVID fraud 2.0. Mm. There are so many scams right now. There's so many people doing ERC tax credit fraud, which is, is basically COVID uh, carryover fraud. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you what ERC, so this is obviously specific to the U.S., but what is the ERC? Employment, is that the oh. employment recovery tax credit for people oh. that lost money during COVID, allowing them to replace or pay their employees up to 26000 <laughs> for that period of time if they lost money. What happened oh. is a lot of those companies already got PPP and you don't right. qualify if you already got PPP. And a lot of those companies don't know the, the rules. So there's all these scam companies out there that are getting companies to prepay them thousands of dollars. They're filing oh. ERC applications with the IRS that are completely fraud on behalf oh, wow. of them. And the companies don't realize it. So number one, they're out the money they paid. And number two, mm -hmm. it could be committing fraud. Right now, there's billions of dollars. It's like it's like 70 billion over what they planned. And there's a wow. hundred, there's like billions of dollars more in application that the IRS has just halted or not even mm. got through because the fraud is so rampant. And Frank, I got three of those calls in the last two weeks. Mails left on my phone. I'm not even a business owner. It just wow. randomly came through my phone offering me this loan. And it was a very convincing voice. Please call me back for your employees. You can get this loan, blah, blah, blah. you know, it went on and on and on. And, and I think it's being actually, the calls are going out and they're actually recruiting people to actually perpetrate this. Yeah, it's all over Telegram right now, ERC. Yeah, I don't think it's something I've really, I feel like I'm in the dark here. I feel like I, I've heard of it. I think I thought it was like earned income or earned, what is that? Well, the, the child tax credit. That's what I thought it was. I think when uh, I saw it here. Like no, it's the employee In like the open credit. Telegram. Yeah, okay. So- I, but I mean, admittedly for me, especially with the ADHD, I can go down rabbit holes so long on Telegram and like not even realize three hours have gone by. So I've been trying really hard to stay focused and only searching for my clients or searching for specific words like any when I did an episode on insiders and innies a, a month or two ago. So that, so I haven't been like perusing the way you have, Frank. So I'm not seeing some of the new trends, but I think that, and as a business owner, I don't think, well, if they're calling me, I don't answer. So that's that. But I, it's frustrating, yeah, it's so, it's but so not nuts. surprising. Yeah. That the, uh, it's the fraud of the moment. Yeah, well, and you would think, right, that the U.S. government would learn a lesson or two in the last few years. But so we know, scenario, you know. In that scenario, Frank, then the, it would be a public sector fraud that would be happening again. And then these deposits would be going into private sector mule accounts. 
I'm assuming like PPP. Yeah, I, it could be. I, I wonder how much of this fraud is actually happening or how much of it is scammers taking the pre prepayment and getting the money and submitting frauds and apps on behalf of the business. And the business is going to be- And a legitimate business will be going to be in trouble. Right. So right. I, it's hard to say where this is going to go, but it is going off right now. Right. Well, yeah. And especially if they can, you know, scammers can tie it to a legitimate program and say it'll make a business or a person think, oh, they already did their homework to see if I qualify or not. So, and they'll tell me how to fill it out. Right. And so I'll take the loan. Right. So from your point, Frank, it's the, a company reaches out to a legitimate business says, Hey, you probably qualify for this. We'll give you a upfront, you know, we'll give you money. And then the business starts to pay them back while also they file for that tax credit. And then at the end of the day, to Marianne's point, it sounds like because it's trying, I'm trying to figure out where the scam company, oh, oh I guess the, the legitimate company is having the real money or the money that they get back from the government routed to the scam company because they got it prepaid. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. That's where I'm trying yeah. to figure out. Okay. They basically, they'll file for you and maybe the IRS will pay you. And mm. then the IRS will go back and look at the documents and say, hey, wait a second, you double dip and uh, you owe us that money back. So then you pay, you end up paying the fee to this company to do the paperwork for you. Mm. And you have to pay the IRS back and maybe you get penalties and maybe you're accused of fraud and you lost I money. See. Okay. So it's not just the lending. It's like you're, they're... They're collecting a fee to help you file because they know about this special product program that yeah. you don't. Okay. No, yeah. like an accountant. I, I like your theme of 2.0. And, you know, I was thinking you'd have, you know, this um, mm. COVID 2.0 URC. But you know what I think is gone out also on 2.0 and out and scams. So, what I call mm-hmm. bank impersonation scams. So, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the consumer side's been hit for about five years or, or longer where 
know, you, is this your Delta airline ticket? No, yes. And then suddenly mm. you have a friendly voice on the other end of the phone guiding you through moving your money. Well, I think the 2.0 part is it's hitting small business and mm. it's hitting medium-sized business. And I think that's where the 2.0, and that's generally a bigger pot of gold because we're mm-hmm. talking about a small business owner who's got generally a nice size bank account that they're running their business with. And and I'm hearing in the industry that this is the 2.0 mm. around a bank impersonation on the commercial and small business side is it's just taking off. Hmm. So on that note, and that's a really good point, actually, two really good points, Marianne. One is the, the theme of 2.0, which I think is so common. I mean, we I have that whole zombie analogy where Basically, you know, all they are is regenerating, right? They're adapting. So a lot of it is are similar fraud tactics or scams that have worked before. But, you know, this specific one, the gap gets filled. So now they have to alter it a little bit. They have to regenerate. So there's that. But then also the the bank impersonation calls going to small businesses and saying, your account has been compromised. You need to give us all the information so we can verify it's you. And then these business accounts get drained. Another 2.0 that you made me think of that's kind of a hybrid of, you know, both of the things you talked about that you both just brought up are fake businesses. So synthetic business Mm -hmm. fraud. Mm -hmm. So synthetic Consumer fraud has been big for a long time, fake accounts or way beyond fake accounts and setting it up online, but creating new identities for loans or new identities for bank accounts. Well, now I know that we are seeing, and and this I do know from from Telegram, but also some targeted ones because of some companies I've been working with lately, that businesses that offer services to other businesses, right? And it might be an e-commerce company that has a very large B2C business, but they also have B2B. And oh, if a business applies for an account with that retailer or that travel company or whatever it is, they get a line of credit. And so it's very cheap to buy business documents that are either forged or duplicated from legitimate businesses, you know, business loans. So there's a lot more focus, not just on KYC, knowing your customer, but knowing your business too, for those companies that do B2B. Well, you know, I think we're getting to the point, I I don't probably... Frank and I remember earlier in our career, and I I used the term mutual authentication. But I'm wondering Hmm. if we're getting to the point that our bank has to prove that they are who they are to us as a consumer or the business. And and, and I'll give you an example. There was a tool that some banks adopted years ago. This was before mobile banking was even around, where you got a picture and your picture was a cat or a dog or a house. And, you know, your bank showed you your picture that you picked out. You know, they weren't authenticating themselves to you. And that kind of went away. I, you know, I, you know, I don't even know if the theme of mutual authentication stuck around, but I'm beginning to think that that theme is going to start to come up again. You know, that because there's a way that we have to build trust back up into those interactions. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's interesting. Well, that's a good point. I mean, as far as phone calls go, and this is just one, like something that probably only people in fraud do, but I hope that more people do. Whenever I get a phone call from anyone, even if it's a doctor's office that I've gone to, and they're probably the only ones that know I've gone there, if they're asking me for any information, whether it's, you know, hey, you forgot to pay your copay, or, you know, you owe a bill, or we need your account number, whatever it is, or your new address, I call them back. 
on the <laughs> phone number that is on file. And I so that's one thing. Now, granted, if there is a SIM swap or there's, you know, and that's much a SIM swap is impossible to do for a bank because obviously they have landlines and all that. But there could be ways around that. But that's one way that we can already do that proactively. And I know also for me at my bank, and I made sure that my daughter did this as well when she opened her account there. And I hope more banks are doing this. But they allow you to put on a separate password. So it's not your mobile banking password. It's not your online password. It is a password that you have to say in order for them to give you any information about your account. So and that really prevents account takeover. And telcos have that as well. Sometimes it's known as a pin. So while you're right, it doesn't I'm kind of thinking this out loud. It doesn't save me from if, you know, someone calls and says that they're from my bank. I still should best practice say, you know what, I'll just call you guys back. But the thing is, is when they're not fraud, they completely understand. When they are fraud, they say, oh, we don't have a fraud department that you can call into. You can only talk to us now. And it's like, okay, well, you just validated everything I was thinking. But I think those are a couple ways that people can try to keep themselves safe. They're not foolproof. But, you know, the the passwords that, you know, myself and my daughter and, and other people in my life have chosen have nothing to do with any other password we have online. It has nothing to do with anywhere we've lived. It's very like it's just a very random word that only we would know that we don't write down. So that's not the same as having mutual authentication, I guess, Marianne. It's a good point. But I wonder if just thinking about the speed of everything, I don't think any, I mean, yes, fraud departments would probably love to do that. But I don't think any bank exec or e-commerce executives would be okay with that because that would slow down commerce and the movement of money. But those are good things that I hope, if anything, that consumers and businesses realize that they have to, it's up to them to keep them safe. There's probably some solutions out there, but I think it, maybe that's an area of innovation and creativity, you know, of mutual authentication. It's something fast in real time. You know, maybe it's, an, you know, in-app push notification, you know, fluffy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I guess SMS is kind of like that, except for, I mean, it's authenticating. Yeah. But so I thought it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm, I'm thinking it through and like, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's coming from your bank, but do you? Right. Like, that's a good point, I think. But right. That trust is eroding. And that reminds me of an article that Frank just recently shared in his Tuesday morning newsletter that I've been looking forward to lately when you sub subscribe to Frank on Fraud. And I actually shared it on the news podcast last or a couple weeks ago, actually. And that was, oh, I shared a couple of them, but the one that was making me think of it, Marianne, is that the number one most impersonated people out there is us, right? Fraud so I made some joke about it's no longer Elvis, it's fraud analysts. I don't know. I was, I thought I was funny. That's pretty funny, but, yeah. That is really. It sounds like you guys get my nerd humor. But yeah, like whoever would have thought people would want to impersonate us, right? But yeah, it's the There's same thing. Right? The, uh, the, it's funny. The you go to the LinkedIn of the head of fraud for Santander, I think it is. His in on his headline, it says I forget his name, James Smith, whatever. And yeah. then below it, it says if someone's calling you, telling you that I'm talking to you, it's not me. Oh my goodness! Uh, he put it on his LinkedIn. Good because, for him, right? Because he, everybody's calling the customer as him, and he's a head of fraud for Santander, as if like the senior senior VP of Santander is going to be calling. Well, you know, Joe but Schmoe, you know that they're a, right, but they wouldn't think of that, right? Or they'd think, yeah. "Wow, I must be so important," or they must not have very much fraud, or I must just have a lot of money that he's caught. Like <laughs> people don't usually have those. Like yeah, that doesn't and, make and that's the reason for social engineering, right? They're taking away, they're, they're putting you in such a situation where it's like stressful or it's yeah. hurry or whatever, but you're taking away that, those second guesses, right? And the critical thinking. 
I don't know. Yeah, I, exactly. I had a former corporate spy on the podcast back in March that was really a fun guest. And he has a book out, Robert Churbeck. And he had some great examples of put the critical thinking back into situations when you're being socially engineered or maybe socially engineered that I hadn't heard of before. So just, I don't know, a little tidbit there referencing the past, but that's funny though. I mean, funny, not funny, right? That the head of fraud of a big bank has to say like somebody's, if I'm calling you right now, it's not me. And that's, it's probably because he was getting so many messages on LinkedIn saying, did you email or you called me and now all my money's gone. Yeah, exactly. Well, because I think the fraudsters are going, hey, yeah, of course you're talking to me. Joe, see, go Google yep. me. See, I'm the, I am. Mm-hmm. If you have any doubt, you just go look, right? Yeah. I, th- I think, Carissa, even a follow-up discussion on a future podcast, the three of us, we could talk about where scams are going. And we talk about some of the scam reimbursement changes. And Frank and I were just talking recently about there's a, a discussion around elder abuse and mm. maybe some of the changes there. And how the fraudsters are actually going to take advantage of that. And that puts the elder in a bad situation. And actually the fraudsters find a way, just like they did with chargebacks. Oh, as soon as there's a reimbursement aspect, then they keep going after it and going after it. So I think probably we could talk all night about. Yeah, well, and I'm Yeah, and that is something. Yeah, and Frank brought up too. That is a topic that I want to cover on fraudology soon. And I'm not sure. Haven't haven't thought through the potential guests or anything like that yet, but is around the scam reimbursement laws in the UK and EU because I do think it's interesting. I just read top level, so I definitely want to have to your point, like something really dedicated to that. But I know that the way they wrote it out right now is it's 50-50, right? So it's 50% of the liability is on the receiving bank and 50% is on the bank that you know where the money goes from or goes to. Yeah. One from one to the two is what I mean, but the receiving bank and then the sending bank. I think that that's interesting because we've all seen what happens when there's one-sided liability. I'd just be in e-commerce for a while, but I'm teasing because I also know banks have one-sided liability and other things too. Lending companies do as well. It's all or nothing theirs. I do also see, to your point, Marianne, ways that that will be gamed as well. And I think there's no there's no real good answer. I mean, I would love to see something happen to the very large organized crime syndicates that are perpetrating these scams, especially to you know North American consumers, but also the UK as well. UK has been having scams for a long time. I think Frank talked about that in a previous episode he was on, but oh, I think it was the one where we talked about the Cash App report and how it was an interesting, like where it had some validity, but not totally and all those things that we were talking about, some of that. But yeah, it's interesting where that's headed. And I think that, Frank, you brought up a really good point about how we really did think that scam reimbursement would be coming sooner than it has. And all I can think about is the people who continue to be victims while mm-hmm. there is no reimbursement. I have been encouraged over the last six months of how many more times I've heard people, not just on LinkedIn, even in regular news stories, talk about pig butchering when they hadn't talked about it, you know, in 2022, even though it was growing so much or not even calling it that right, but talking about crypto investments and things like that. But at the same time, like we have a long ways to go. 
And it's always so hard because we want to talk forever. And I certainly could, but I think that's probably where we should leave it for today, which is so hard because there's so many other things to, to talk about. But I guess what I want to ask you both before we end is for the rest of 2023, what are we going to be keeping an eye on? Are there any changes that could impact the fraud world in the next six months that you know, we may not have anticipated in the first half of the year or six months ago that now we're like, and I think we've talked a little bit about it, but just the things that were like, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on this in case it changes it for the better or the worse. Hmm. I, you know, Frank and I just did a recent webinar and you go back to the topic of sim swaps, you know, and ah. this whole topic, there's so many organizations so reliant on OTPs and, you know, mm. the sim swaps are happening. So, and if you think of all of the organizations that have money that protect that authentication that matters. So there's a lot of money in 401k accounts. There's a lot of money in investment accounts. There's a lot of money. So I'm already seeing these these 2.0 events. I think we're going to see more of it. And I just think that through scams, through account takeovers, because I just don't think that the $2,000 you know, in a consumer account is going to be as attractive as the you know $50,000, $100,000, $400,000 in a 401k. And they're going to wire that money out very easily, especially when there's online services that are, you know, not reliant on identity proofing during high risk events that occur. So I do think we're going to see more, maybe, I don't know if we call large loss events or more scaled large loss events, mm. but I think we will see that. It's a good point. And in comparing, just following up with what Frank had just said a few minutes ago about telcos where there are insiders that are being advertised every single day, multiple times a day. And yes, I'm sure that's hard for them because they have multiple retail outlets all over the world. So they have all these employees that are able to swap a phone number and there are reasons for it. But perhaps those companies you know, should be thinking about that when maybe investment accounts and 401k and all those big money accounts are Marianne, to your point, should be doing more than just relying on a one-time password. They should be doing more to authenticate so it can work both ways, right? But you cannot rely on other companies outside of your own to be fail-safe, right? We just can't anymore. So knowing that SIM swaps are so easy and certainly worthwhile and, and pretty cheap, at least through this telco, but you know, through others too, we can't rely, you know, if there's a $50,000 account out there, somebody's, you know, retirement fund, we, you're right, we can't rely on just, oh, I sent them a six digit code and they sent it back on their phone number. So it must be them. And Frank, what about you? What are you looking yeah, at? Yeah, there's two things. And I can't, I, this is something I heard from Matt Friedman about a week ago. Hey. And I think this is something we need to keep our eye on. Matt Friedman, hey. if you don't know, is a board member at the Noble, founder of Mekong Club, very, very active in human slavery and a lot of charity work that he does try to stop it. Mm -hmm. And pig butchering is hitting a point of violence and slavery and growth, just the number of victims that they're bringing in hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into criminal organizations in Southeast Asia and mm -hmm. in, in Mexico. It's, it's occurring all over the world. These criminal groups are generating more than they ever could from drug trafficking. And we've seen what happens with drug trafficking in Mexico, where you get narco states. And mm. so I feel like these pig butchering and the and scam groups can create these scam states. You know, we hear in narco states, but scam states where there's so much money rolling into a very few group of criminals that they become mm -hmm. stronger than the government and they're unstoppable. And I think that we're going to see more of that significant criminal activity. I also feel 
like we're going to see something or we will very shortly see something with Telegram and a major, you know, we hear a lot about TikTok, ban TikTok and, mm -hmm. you know, stuff, but I really feel that Telegram has reached a point where, at least from my view, maybe I, I have a very biased view, but I feel like the illicit activity that's being perpetrated through Telegram is far in excess of legitimate. That is almost completely a criminal organized messaging platform mm -hmm. in broad daylight committing fraud against victims, mm -hmm. against every bank, every company. It's just growing to a point where they need to take action against Telegram because it's causing, I mean, so much fraud and scams and interaction that something has to happen. I keep my eye on that from a government perspective and I keep my eye on these mm. pig butchering and I'm glad you have Erin West. She's a phenomenal resource and she's going to be mm -hmm. a great. I'm gonna she's been, yeah, she's been on my wish list for a while and I've been my own worst like enemy on that one because she's excited to come. I just for a while there, I was like nervous to ask her. And then once I asked her, she said, I was starting to wonder why you hadn't asked me if there was something wrong. So I'm like, no, I just like was fangirling and I see her donate so much of her time and volunteer so much of her time to educate people on scams that I didn't want to take that up. But I do know also, though, that this audience of fraudology is one powerful audience and are able to have a really big impact when they learn new things. I think those are all really interesting, Frank. I think just on the Telegram thing, and this could also be its own topic and its own episode, but I'm torn on that because we all know what happened whenever there was a takedown of dark web chats and forums, right? They would scatter mm -hmm. and they would open up new ones and open up new ones. And there, it, there is some value to see what they're doing and how they're talking about it and how they think. And yeah. okay. And, and for me, especially, oh, I know that this company did X, Y, Z. And now these guys are saying this. Okay. You know, I can literally see you can back see and them. Forth. They're in the open, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's I, one yeah, in particular I'm very yeah. proud of from recently that I know I had a very big hand in that they're like, wait, we can't do this anymore. And I was like, Yes. But you're absolutely right, though, that Discord is another one that's very active as well. And yeah, there's yeah, Discord, yeah. WhatsApp, too. But right. But I think that I'm interested to see that, too. And I do think that they're by having it be so open, it allows new people to think it's OK and that it's not really a crime. And there's I mean, YouTube has the same problem in some ways. But that's interesting. Oh, so. I think so. I think. Just when I see, because I'm a lurker on there, and I just yeah. see the the tremendous growth in the channels. Like I look at the channels oh on my their, gosh, their memberships. Yeah, they're just growing like crazy. And you a lot and I, of people yeah, are you going and I on been active in this for like the last four years. I think we both started around the same time where we were like, have you heard about this? Have you seen this? And yeah. we'll take, you know, share groups back and forth. I, I've had a lot to give thousands. trainings, though, because I, I would not suggest that just anyone jump on Telegram if you don't know what you're doing. Like I had to work with the, a client who was you know very excited to get on. And then I said, did you use an alias or did you publish your <laughs> oh, phone no. number? <laughs> yeah. Did you write with anyone that you know, because there can be a record of that? Like if you're, yeah, let's, you know, that, that was a little bit, I mean, I certainly don't want to embarrass them if they're listening, but like, eh, just think about those things. Cause I, you know, yeah, I, they, I, they, something has to happen. They either got to slow it down or Telegram needs to moderate it. Somebody, uh, you just can't, mm -hmm. if you have it so far in the open, you're getting a lot of, we're getting a lot of very young people going on there yes. and getting into this lifestyle. It has to be a, a little more difficult. You know, it used to be the dark web, like 
you had to kind of know a little bit. Yeah, you had to have a Tor browser, an Onion router. You had to know, right. And I, yeah. yeah. Can you read a message? And you add fraud as a service, right? You add fraud as a service to it all. And it makes it so easy that a 12-year-old really can commit cyber fraud because they don't have to know all the pieces. They can hire someone else to do it. The things that I was going to add, and I didn't have time to talk about the the visa changes. I'm going to do that on a dedicated episode anyway, because I haven't actually talked about that yet, because I was waiting to kind of see what happened after April. And that's been interesting. But one thing beyond the kind of the 2.0 of synthetics that I mentioned as far as businesses being faked and for B2B goods or for loans or for other things like that. And it kind of goes back with what you were saying to Frank, as far as, you know, narco states or cybercrime mm-hmm. states. I There are definitely some themes of specific countries that are perpetrating. There are just a massive amount of financial scams and financial cybercrimes coming out of them. Often they are the countries where you really can't do much without the government being aware or knowing about it. And there's been some things recently that I've been privy to that have been shared with me that it's getting to a point where there may be some concerns from other national security, not not just not in the U.S., not just in the U.S., other places saying, wait, why are we getting so, why are our consumers getting hit so much or why are our businesses mm-hmm. hit so much? Mm-hmm. by scams from these specific countries and maybe oh, looking there's so to- much money there's so, so much, much money. money and there are multiple multiple levels on it and it's to the point where yeah i mean and a lot of it is organized crime but and i know there are a few pretty big mafias out of southeast asia that are running rampant with whether it's pig butchering or other scams and financial crimes targeting businesses, banks, and consumers. But at the same time, you just got to wonder when we're going to cry uncle or when, you know, Western states are going to cry uncle and go, wait a second, like your country knows, your your government seems to know everything else you're doing at all times. So how can they not know that you're stealing from us too? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Conversations I've been having lately, and I'm, you know, to speak as cryptically as possible but you know at the same time those of us that know can can read through it but yeah so it's if this conversation has proved anything it's nothing we didn't already know but fraud is ever changing and it's always growing and there are some things that we can predict and there's some things that we can't and there's it's part of why we love it and why we hate it at the same time and why it gives us all gray hairs trying to keep up with it all but I'm so fortunate as I said at the beginning to really get to know get to talk to some of the smartest people in our industry and you two are definitely towards the top of the list absolutely so thank you so much to you both i know it's been a long day for us all it's towards the end of the day it's a little later for marianne than it is for frank and i but i sure appreciate your time and your expertise and i will ensure that links to your linkedin profiles are in the show notes as well as a link to i mean i hope everyone subscribed and and follows it often i sure do but frank on fraud blog um and Thanks again to you both. I really appreciate Thank it. You, Thank you, Carice. Thank you, Carice. Good to see you, Marianne. Great we time. will talk soon. Maybe we'll have to do this at the end of the year again, see what happens after Christmas and see. Uh, I'm here for it. Yeah, we'll see if I was, I I hope I was wrong about the master manipulators, but we'll see. Knock on wood.
thank you again to Spec for sponsoring today's episode. I'm really excited for more online companies to see what's possible with their fraud infrastructure. Spec's Trust Cloud is way more than just another fraud product, and I hope you'll visit www.specprotected, that's S-P-E-C-P-R-O-T-E-C-T-E-D.com to learn why.